Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co-hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co-owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. of college savings plans and go into some of the more common uh, 529 plans, UTMA plans, and taxable accounts. So with all of those sort of acronyms, Nate, uh, let's jump right in, huh? So normally people look at college savings as a, um, you know, how do I cover all four years with one of the tools in the toolbox and have it as kind of a one and done project. Uh, from what we've seen, that's not in actuality how it works. Most people are using multiple tools at different times based on a lot of different factors. Yeah. And I think the first thing that you need to start to determine is, you know, try to be somewhat realistic as far as what the college savings option that you may use. So when we do our planning, uh, most times we don't have, somebody save all four years in one type of account as Nate's alluding to. So, or even know, all four years or even all four years. Right. And so what we might look at is, you know, how much flexibility do you need and what type of institution may you want to consider? So most people, unless they have a real specific request, will say, okay, well get me to a four year public in state school and maybe they'll pick the large school in their area. So for us, that's university of Wisconsin, Madison. So, um, you know, they'll take that as a cost and we'll project that out and, and kind of see, okay, what is it going to take to do four years at that school? And then we start to plan a strategy around that. So others, you know, really they grew up in a private school atmosphere, so they may have a specific school or they want to go private school. So the saving plan gets a little bit different because, uh, in a private school or in specific out of state institutions, it can get real expensive real fast. Yeah. I think the key here is that we're not jumping to the tool first without knowing what the job at hand is. I think we need to figure out what the job at hand is first and then figure out what tools make the most sense. So as Clint said, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, $40,000 a year private school and it's going to be four years of that, um, that's a huge amount of money that we need to try to save. And maybe we're going to use three different tools as opposed to one. If it's two years, cover the first two years at a state school and then the student is going to get loans for the remainder of it. Okay. We might be able to get away with one tool. What's your favorite tool that you use? My toolbox? Yeah. My grandpa gave me a Dremel tool, and I don't know how to use it. But every time I turn it on, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. What? I don't know what to do with it, though. <laughs> what was the last time you used it? Uh, I used it to try to cut. Griffin wanted me to try to cut something that was plastic. And so I'm like, oh, I could use this Dremel tool to try to do it. It didn't really work out <laughs> very well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't the right tool for the job, although it did um, make some damage to it. So it, it, it didn't it didn't it didn't work out, but it, it also didn't make him happy either. 
Well, I used a, a, this little like planer tool on, uh, I was trying to fit. So I ordered something from blinds.com and of course we didn't quite measure it properly. So we got close though. It was within millimeters. So I had to take this, this tool that was used for wood. It was like a wood planer tool and I used it on plastic and I just took it out and I just cheese grated it basically for like 30 minutes and then we just shoehorned it in. It was great. So, so <laughs> I would say for most people though, using the right tool for the right job works a little bit better for them. So that's akin to you decided to use a credit card to pay for a semester of tuition for your kid at college. Hey, if you got points, you why, why, what's you wrong got with that, points right? and it worked and it paid it. The bill got paid, right? So in the end, it's, I guess it's a solution. Probably not the best solution, but... Free miles, though. Free miles, though. You can get a trip to Cancun <laughs> out of it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so back to some college uh, planning and savings. Uh, you know, what's, let's go into uh, an account that's, that's less common, um, UTMA accounts. Uh, some people use UTMA accounts, which is Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts as a college savings vehicle. So, Nate, what are some of the parameters around that? Well, a UTMA account is is um, kind of the the official legal name for it, but most people understand those to be uh, what we refer to as custodial accounts, so youth savings accounts or investment accounts for kids, or um, even back when they used to have the um, the banks and credit unions would have the little like you know. Uh, cartoon squirrel account for the kids when they were five years old. Those are all examples of UTMA. Those are all custodial accounts. We have one person of the age of majority. That's the um, kind of controller of the account. And then we have the minor listed on the account as well. Um, one hugely important distinction there is that the minor does own the assets. Uh, so when we put money in there, uh, it is the child's assets and needs to be used for that child's best interest. That's right. And when the child turns 21, that becomes their asset. So no matter what the parent wants to do with that money, it does not matter because it's now the child's asset. So if they want to take that money and put it all in red in the uh, wind casino, they can do that. And if they want to buy that nice sports car, um, Kevin, do people still buy Camaros? Because that was like the big car, the or big like muscle car. Does anybody buy a Miata anymore? <laughs> Really Maybe small. just for the price at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily for the cool factor oh, in okay. 2017. Oh, but. okay. Maybe it's, is it still Mustang then maybe? Is that the muscle car, the cool muscle car that somebody yeah, would get? The if they're I think the cool pretty, muscle car is the, uh, um, the, 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 the Toyota hybrid with the bigger engine is what it is. Oh, That's today's on. muscle car. No, no. The Prius with the big engine is, is today's muscle car. Thank you. No, I'll stick <laughs> with our rear wheel drive. Oh, God. Brain power. The V8 Brain muscle. <laughs> if I wanted a golf cart, I'd buy a golf cart. It's a lot cheaper. Um, all right, moving on. Um, UTMA accounts become the child's asset at the age of majority. They're 21. Now, the advantage of these accounts are that they're extremely flexible. So you can use it for any reason. And the taxation of the account, as long as it doesn't get to be too much interest income, it is the child's um, tax rate. So basically zero. Um, you know, while they're eight or 10 years old, they're not going to pay any taxes on those accounts. Later on, if they do get bigger, they, you know, it can shift the parents' tax rate so they can't be abused as tax-sheltered accounts. But you know, if you have a little bit of money in there, it's fine. Uh, the huge disadvantage to that is that it is the child's uh, asset for financial aid purposes. So if you have a chance at getting financial aid and you build up these UTMA accounts and make them rather large, 
it could work against you from a financial aid perspective. So that's something to definitely keep in mind. And that's one of the reasons why these accounts are used just a fraction of the time. So most people say, I want to start a, you know, kid savings account. That's great if you want to start that, even if you want to invest it. But I would probably recommend for most people to keep these accounts small because of uh, the fact that it will work against them for financial aid. It is not in their control. Um, and you know, the tax benefits are, are nice, but not, you get better tax benefits in other accounts. Yeah. It can be a good, um, what we'd call almost a secondary, um, kind of account for, for college planning. It's definitely not the, the, the first choice, uh, when we're talking to clients on how to, how to save, you know, kind of the bulk of their college savings money should, should not, in our opinion, find its way into a UTMA account. Uh, that switches to 529 accounts. Clint, how do 529 accounts work? Well, 529 accounts, if you're familiar with Roth IRAs, they're very similar to Roth IRAs. So basically what happens in those accounts is you fund it with after-tax proceeds. Uh, and so, you know, just something you've paid taxes on before, and then you can fund the money in. And you can put rather large lump sums in here. Um, we can go off to the gift tax limits, so we can put in a lot of money into these accounts. Tens of thousands of dollars can go into these accounts um, without any sort of problem with gift taxes. And you want to work with a qualified tax attorney and work with your financial advisor to determine how much you can do if you're going to put in a rather large lump sum. Uh, but it is a situation where you may be able to put in a lot of money into it, and then the money grows tax deferred. So we never get a tax bill along the way when we have the money in these accounts. And when we take the money out, as long as it's used for college or college-related expenses, um, and, and there's a, a broad definition that you'll want to check out on that, but um, you know you get that money tax-free. So essentially, we've put money in after tax, grows tax-deferred, and as long as it's used for college, it's tax-free. So it's very similar to the Roth in that purpose. You know, the Roth IRA has age 59 and a half rules associated with it. This has college-related rules associated with it. So the confusion or some of the confusion of 529 accounts come into play with the, um, the kind of the structure of how they work. So the 529 just refers to the legislation uh, that created the accounts. Each state has their own 529 plans. That's one thing a lot of people are not aware of is that there's not one single 529 plan. There's actually, um, you know, there's 50 different plans. There's actually even more than that, but they all fall under different marketing names. And so that's where it gets a little confusing with confusing um, Wisconsin's plan is known as Edvest. Illinois' plan is what? Bright Start? Bright Start. I believe. Yep. Virginia's plan is College America. So they all have different marketing names where it kind of lends to some confusion. Um, but the, the kind of the crooks of the accounts is that they all function the same way. You can use any state's plan that you want. Your child can go to college in any state or the beneficiary, I should say, of the account. It doesn't have to be your child. Uh, can go to college in any state. Um, as long as the money's used for college or college-related expenses, that's really what matters. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, basically an investment company works with the state, so the state will select the investment company that they want to administer the plan. And then inside of there, it may be just those funds uh, inside of the plan, or it may be a multiple fund managers inside of the plan for the investment choices. So because there's a lot of difference in uh, choices out there, you want to be careful about who you select as the investment manager. And you also want to make sure that you educate yourself on whether your state has a state tax break in your contributions. So Wisconsin has a small state tax break that they allow if you use the state's plan. So you have to use Edvest or Tomorrow, Tomorrow Scholar, which are the two plans in the state. One's advisor sold, one is direct sold. 
And uh, if you use those, you'll get a small state tax break up to a certain amount that you can put in. So you'll want to check that for your state and see whether you're giving that up if you go to a different state's plan. It's also important to understand that these are investments. So this is, this is not like a, a glorified savings account. This is an actual investment account. We're using actual market investments, um, you know, mutual funds. Uh, we can lose money. Uh, you know, there was a, a really bad situation in uh, what state of Oregon, I think, right during 08 and 09 where their 529 plan got way out of control with some of the bond investments and way over aggressive and some of those investments and, and people lost, um, you know, some money there. So be aware that this is still a market investment. We can still lose money in these accounts. And so we need to still understand that uh, time frame is crucially important. Risk tolerance is crucially important. And ultimately, um, you know, how much growth are you targeting is, is really important as well. Yeah, time frame's key here because, you know, it, we don't have a 30-year time frame on some of these as somebody might have for their retirement. Um, you know, if your child's 10 years old, they're going to start attending school in probably seven to eight years. So it's a situation where you want to be mindful of that when we're picking out investments. And the way that the accounts work, you know, some people say, well, I want to open a joint 529. You can have one account owner. You name a successor owner. So the husband or wife, in many cases, will be, you know, one will be the owner, one will be the successor owner, and the child is actually the beneficiary. And we generally recommend that for every child, uh, every child should have their own account. Uh, and the reason for that is that the ages of the children are different. And so unless they're twins. And so you want to have uh, different risk tolerances for those two, because if there's a three year disparity in their ages, their risk tolerance might be markedly different as they approach college. Yeah, we also need a social security number for the child. So. Um, we'll have some people that are expecting their first child and want to open the account at that point, or they want to open it, um, you know, right after the child's born. Until we have a social security number, we can't open the account. So that's one thing to be aware of. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is that um, anybody can contribute. So if, if grandparents or if other relatives or friends want to contribute to the account, um, as long as they make the check payable to the right institution, they can make contributions as well. Yeah, and there's some nuances on the law too. I mean, in many cases, you can exclude these assets from financial aid. Uh, calculations. And so uh, there are some nice benefits of these accounts aside from just the tax benefit. And, uh, you know, furthermore on that, you just want to make sure that, you know, you're utilizing the accounts in the right way. If there's money left over uh, there, you can also have some options there. You can transfer it to another beneficiary if you desire. You can transfer it to yourself as the account owner and just have it delay and defer uh, indefinitely or you can cash the money out and what are the penalties if you cash the money out so if you cash the money out you will have to pay tax on the gains you'll also pay a 10 percent excise penalty on the gains as well um, again that's under the caveat that we cash the money out without using it for college or college related expenses so that's really the litmus test on these accounts so there is taxation there's a small penalty if we don't use it for college related expenses um, but if we can prove that we did uh, then that money comes out tax and penalty free that's exactly right. So it's very powerful that way, uh, you know, and the account owner is the one that actually has possession of the assets. So when the child turns 21, they can't just take that money away and do whatever they want with it. So that protection inside of that account is really important for parents uh, because if they need the money for themselves, they can take the money back if they hit a financial road bump for themselves uh, or if the child just decides that they don't want to go to college. Well, that's fine. They can keep the money back for themselves or they can change the beneficiary. So it's an extremely flexible type of an account. Kevin, did you have student loans? I did. For all four years? Yes. Okay. 
that's actually becoming quite the, the, the norm now. The whole idea of parents paying for all four years, room board, the whole nine yards is not necessarily as popular as it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I think that's not as possible anymore. Yeah, it's expensive now. It's much more expensive than I used to when I used to be in school. I mean, it was expensive, but now it's just it's going up at a rate of about six percent compounded each year, which is incredible. I mean, it means every about 12 years it's doubling in cost. It's unsustainable. But in my four years at UW, the tuition went up, I think, six grand between when I was a freshman and wow. when I graduated. So And it doesn't mean that we should take undue risk and we should try to hit you know hit home runs with, with our college uh savings money, but it does mean that uh you know your traditional bank or credit union C D or savings account is not gonna get the job done when it comes to fighting a six percent inflation battle. Yeah, I mean even if it starts to flatten out a bit, you're still well above the, the normal rate of inflation there. So you've got to plan for that sort of expense. I mean and, and the nice part about 529s is that uh, people that are choosing a little bit more non-traditional paths. So, you know, most of the time when I went to school and everything, everyone just went to a four-year institution. Um, and you stayed the entire time at a place that you went to. But a lot of people are going into, you know, two-year schools really to save the money. You know, a lot of people are going to Madison College around here. For two years, they get automatic acceptance into UW if they fulfill certain uh, parameters, and then they just go into Madison having a whole load of credits, being able to get out in four years at a significantly lower cost. So we're starting to see some of these students participate in these, particularly when they have to take on student loans. So uh, it's very good for parents to sit down with their children and to go through a budget, things like that. I remember I got into Wake Forest, and my parents said, that's great, you got into Wake Forest, but, uh, you know, this is how much you're going to have to pay. And I kind of looked at it and said, okay, well, Madison sounds great. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was like $40,000 a year. Wake Forest was a very nice school, uh, but uh, it was not for me. So I ended up going to Madison. Yeah, those are the conversations that people are having and they, or, or should have for sure because the, uh, the, the, the cost is now to a point where, you know, it's not just, all right, you can have student loans for four or five years and pay them off and move on with your life. I mean, it's we're talking about numbers with commas in them and it, it gets it gets real big real fast yeah if you i mean if you go into it and get into a bad financial situation literally some people can never get out of student loan debt if they structure it in certain ways so you've got to be very mindful of that that your four years doesn't become a 40-year problem for your finances so you've got to be re- really realistic in how you approach that and you know i think sometimes as parents we want to do everything for our children but if we focus too much on the four years and forget about our own retirement, uh, you know, we've seen people blow up their retirements just because they wanted to send their, their kids to the, the right school. And I don't know. I mean, I, to me, that seems foolhardy. But, uh, you know, I think parents get into a mindset where they just kind of throw that out the window and they just say that that Jane or Joe can go wherever they want. And I don't know if that's the best course of action for them. Yeah, that's it's a level of planning that that has to be done now in concert with retirement planning because um, it, it it absolutely has the power, as Clint alluded to, to um, have a pretty negative effect on a, on a retirement plan. Um, and, and the other way to look at it is, is it, it's it's a it's a component um, now that's that's not a well. Let's just throw fifty dollars a month into a college planning account and we'll be good to go. It, it's it's a pretty pretty large part of the overall holistic financial planning that we do. Yeah. And so I I tend to see more people going towards a a dual solution. And that is that they're using 529 plans for a portion of uh, what they need in college. And then they'll, they'll fund a taxable account, whether that's a trust account or whether that's a joint account. 
and they'll fund that account kind of for the eye on it might be used for college, it might be used for retirement, but we want it liquid and flexible. And the downside of these accounts is they do get taxed every single year um, at the higher tax rate, at the parent's tax rate, and it's not a college-related account at all. But usually we use that as well as the 529 plans to do some planning because we do need some flexibility in the future. And if your child's two years old and you got 16 years to go, you have no idea about what college is going to look like. I mean, it, it might be markedly different than it is today. So I think we need to keep that in the back of our mind and do kind of a, a dual planning approach and have a flexible plan as well, even if it isn't as tax efficient, just because of the situation of, you know, we might be all going to online colleges at that time at a fraction of the cost that we have today, or we might be going to these institutions that are ungodly expensive and we'll be paying for them in that way too. So I think some flexibility in your planning makes sense. Yeah. It goes back to what we, uh, kind of opened the podcast with, which is, you know, you, it, it's not a, it's not a single track anymore. You know, we're, we're using multiple tracks and, and we have to be mindful that, um, you know, they all have different attributes. And so the use of 529 along with taxable account, along with some debt, along with, even getting into the area of, of using home equity and some things like that for people, um, got to keep these options open because uh, you know four years at Madison is uh, what uh, eighty between eighty and eighty five thousand dollars for four years now. It just seems so expensive. It's a lot. It's <laughs> I can attest that it is. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a great value though, Kevin, isn't it? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but compared to a lot of other places, it really is like. Madison is, I think it is actually one of the best value-rated schools, which is insane to think about for $80,000, but you'll get some other places, and it's even double, triple that, so. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, think about what it takes to go to Michigan these days. I think it's, what is it, $60,000 a year right now to go to Michigan? Between 50 and 60, somewhere in there. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so. Plus, I'd rather be a, a Badger than a Wolverine anyways, right? I mean, I think Badgers are just really mean. I think it's pretty equal, though, between the two animals. Yeah, that's actually, that would be an interesting, a badger versus a wolverine, I think would be a very interesting fight. And if somebody knows what a boilermaker is, maybe that would beat both of them. I don't know what a boilermaker is. Do you know what a boilermaker is? Hoosier, boilermaker, buckeye. I mean, come on. They definitely beat a buckeye because that's just like a plant. So (laughs) That's That's uh, true. You can chop that one up. What about a scarlet knight? That's true. A new one. Right. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, Wildcat. That'd be reasonably good in a fight. There, you got Wolverine, Wildcat, Badger. Hawkeye, Hawkeye can get away fast. But and then you have a Gopher. <laughs> oh man! Why don't you just be a squirrel? Come on. A fighting squirrel, though. <laughs> <laughs> a mean one. <laughs> Maybe a rabid one. <laughs> we, we have no Big Ten bias at all here for the Badgers. <laughs> Sorry to everybody else in the Big Ten, I guess, that's listening to this. Yeah, That you is hate. true. Yeah, the, the, we, we, we do have some, some Homer bias here. Sorry, oh, well. we hate your schools. It's fine. We're better than you. I'm just not apologizing. Sorry, I'm not sure sorry. That, that can be said, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> We've alienated an entire list. We haven't gotten shit. hate mail yet. Maybe we'll get some hate mail. There you go. And, yeah, you know, right. a bunch of people in Madison love us now. So that's true. It's good. That is true. Go Badgers so, on Wisconsin. Right. You can expect all of this and more if you come in for college planning uh, meeting with Clint and I. Um, 
we will run the uh, all of the appropriate numbers and give you a much better look than, than uh, maybe what you have right now. So please feel free to book an appointment. Come on in and see us. We'll go through all the details for your specific situation. We look forward to talking to you soon. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Walkner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC, are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.